cables and plugs and I think we might now have it working. Anyway, Saturday, Fall Festival at the Parker Abode. What time are we starting? Two-ish? <laughs> okay, two o'clock over there. We're going to have our Fall Festival. Um, we'll have a message probably around five-ish, 5.30 something. Okay. Just some announcements. We are going to start with prayer. Father, thank you for this praise and worship, and thank you for inhabiting our praise. I ask you, Lord, that you let me step aside and that you step forth and you bring this message out the way that you have it intended. Let it not be my words and my intellect. Let it just plant a seed in each and everyone's heart. I thank you for this building. I thank you for everyone here that was able to make it and everyone that is watching online or will listen in the near future. I just thank you for using me to share your word around the world. And I just want to ask that you bless this message and bless the reading of your word as we get into it and just let it open our eyes that we can see what you have in store and and let us hear what you, you want us to hear. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start in Proverbs 22. So the title of this, can you turn me down a little bit? Just a little bit. I'm loud. Uh. I titled this, What's in a Name? We talked about some different names out of Psalms a couple weeks ago. We've talked about promises that God has given us. Well, now I want to talk about what's in a name. So Proverbs 22 and 1, we're going to jump around a little bit and then we'll get to sit down. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Go go over just a little bit to Ecclesiastes. Oh, that was 22 and 1. Ecclesiastes 7 and 1. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And lastly, to start here, let's go to Isaiah 62 and 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. You may sit down. Quick note. If you didn't know, I'm going to tell everybody now, we do have a podcast, and two of our top five 
locations most downloads are outside of America. Our top location is Ashburn, Virginia, but the Ivory Coast of Africa, Brussels, Brussels Belgium, and um, Zimbabwe. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I wanted to share that with everybody, that our little assembly of 30-something people is being listened to literally around the world to show you how, how such humble beginnings and how something that we might look at as so small is making an impact, not just in America. I mean, does anybody know anybody in Ashburn, Virginia? I don't. I mean, I might. I don't know. But it's the top downloaded, and it's there will be like multiple downloads by the time I make it live. Once I publish it to the podcast, it's they're waiting on it. Um, I think that's pretty cool. So Hefzabah is translated from the original Hebrew, and it literally means my delight is in her. So if we take this and we make it, thou shalt be called, my delight is in her, her being the bride, it is us. His, God is saying that his delight is in us. And that is, that's just really, I mean, I find that really, really cool and we go through all these names and we're going to go through a lot of names today tonight but you read through all these names in the bible and you're like what is so big about why did god have to change his name why was why were these names so important well just in proverbs and ecclesiastes it says a good name is better than great ointment it's better than this it's better than that we don't look at a name anymore the way that they did. In Old Testament times, the Israelites understood the power behind a name. Whether there was actual spiritual blessing or power imparted through a God-given name, or whether the names given simply powerfully influenced the thoughts and beliefs of the persons themselves about themselves. The names of the Old Testament characters in many ways predicted or foreshadowed important characteristics or the roles that they would play. So think about not just all the name changes, because I want to get into those, but everything. So when Gideon defeated all the people, they named it. When this battle was won, they named it. God named it. God named it. I mean, it would, we could stand here all, all week probably trying to go through all the things that God just, when they won a victory, they named it. When David won a victory, God would name it this. When this, when they lost or something happened here because they didn't follow God, it was named this. The one giving the name has power over the one being named. Hence why Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel and the three Hebrew boys new names. He wanted to, them to be subdued under his reign and might. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I 
we never really think about that because that's not something that we have a problem with anymore. I mean, the new president doesn't come into office and rename everybody because he wants to have power over them. Everybody, I mean, that would kind of, everybody would look at that and be like, that is the most odd thing. But names throughout the Bible of that, the whole time, all couple thousand years, it meant something. Your name was not just who, who people called you, but it was your characteristics, your personality. It was, it was your very identity. We many times tie up our identity with our work or hobbies. We do the same with others and stereotype them by how they look. I find this funny. I was on the phone with Erica today while I was on lunch, and uh, I had gone out and grabbed lunch, and I have disabled veteran tags on my forerunner. And I, there was an upfront parking spot, and I just pulled right in. There's 50-something parking spots, handicapped parking spots. And I pulled in that one, and I'm, I have disabled veteran tags. I'm allowed to park there. So I park, and instead of asking me, security immediately comes out, and he goes, you're in a handicapped spot. I said, I know. I have a tag. And he goes, oh, really? Yes, I do, or I wouldn't have pulled all the way up here to park. He, of course, had to go check, and I have a little card in my wallet saying I'm allowed to do that. But he instantly stereotyped me because of the way that I looked. I'm not old like everybody else that parks there. I don't have, you know, I mean, Dad's ran into this. I've been with Dad. People will come out and instantly start yelling at him, and he left. He threw the door open and said, am I handicapped enough for you? But people just look at it, and they see one little thing. I mean, for all that security guard knew, I was missing a leg and had a prosthetic. But he instantly said, oh, that guy doesn't look handicapped, so I'm going to say something to him. But we do the same thing. How many times are you driving down the road or coming out of Walmart and you see somebody and you automatically go, that's an unsavory character? And they, they could be the nicest, sweetest person you've ever met. They're not even going to ask you nothing, but you instantly want to kind of avoid them or don't make eye contact. Or We do the same thing, and we don't even know their names. But sometimes we do. So I know while Erica and I, while she was pregnant with Presley, we were thinking of names, and multiple times we'd go, no, I don't like that one because I know somebody named that. And we, it, it's like we instantly say, oh, well, if we named her April, she would instantly act like this April I knew, or if we named her Amber, she would instantly be like this, or whatever, right? And we, I don't know why we do it, but we associate characteristics with names, and we don't know why we associate characteristics with names. So God is called by over 220 names throughout the Bible. I was looking, whoops, I was looking some of them up and of course I mean you have and this isn't even a complete list this is just the ones that I can um, kind of come up with uh, on this quick website I found it back there before we realized we had such bad sound problems but these aren't even the Melchizedek's and the will the will inside of a will and those types of things this is just actual uh, 
wisdom of witness, wonderful word, word of God. 220 different names. Because just out of these 220 times, God was being the characteristic and having the personality of what that person needed. We had talked about it prior that Moses couldn't have come along and taught Noah's message, and, and John the Baptist couldn't have come along and taught Moses' message. But Brother Sam's talked about it, how when Jesus went down and went to get everybody out, everybody, you know, they're, oh, well, that's Melchizedek, and that's by all these different names, because that is who they needed at the time. That was the characteristic that they needed. When we went through the names just in Psalms, and there was eight different names, it was eight different promises, but each one of them meant something a little different, whether you need a healer or a provider or I mean, sometimes you can be in great health but don't have a house or food. I don't need a healer at that point. I need food. I'm hungry. I don't need the, you know, the 5,000 that were on the, on the hill that day that God fed. They needed food. They had been there every, all day for hours. Jesus was a provider at that point. So just some of the names that were changed, and we're going to go over them, and we're going to jump back and forth. So um, I was joking with Erica while I was writing some of my notes, and I said, I hope everybody's ready for Bible drill today, because um, I got to catch up from the times that I didn't use. So a lot of these you will know, and I, some of them you'll know the meaning, and some of them I didn't, I didn't even realize, but um, we have scripture to back up, you know, all of them. So Saul means prayed or asked for. So that could also mean if you look deeper into some of the definitions of what it means, it's as if he was praying or asking for something. Um, we all know that Saul was not a great guy he uh everything he did though he he thought that he was doing i mean he did everything by the law that's what it was uh but he thought he was doing it for the glory of god and he was so you cannot tell me that he was not seeking more wisdom and guidance from god while doing those things and then the Damascus Road uh, uh, experience where he is now called Paul, which means humble. I find that pretty cool. So Abram meant exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. And if we go to Genesis 17 and 5, it's just, neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. Also, on top of that, you have Sarai, meaning princess, 
and then Sarah, meaning noble woman or mother of all nations. So they kind of have a similar meaning, but if you think about it, a princess does not have the same power or authority as a queen. So a princess would be the daughter, the unmarried, the, the virgin, if you will, the still growing up and learning, whereas um, a noble woman, and that's in Genesis 17 and 15, a noble woman would be the, you know, like a mother of all nations, have more maturity, have more um, clear thoughts, and not be possibly so reckless. So 1715, and God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou thy shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, 16, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. That's pretty cool. Jacob means supplanter. And I was like, I don't know what that word means. So a supplanter is someone who takes the place of another as through force or scheming. So if you think about that, you're like, that cannot be any better of a definition for Jacob scheming through force, taking the place of another, getting the first birthrights. But in Genesis 32 and 28, that's 31, 32 and 28, and that goes to 27. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Israel actually means wrestled with God, wrestles with God. Now some translations, people said it's uh, mightier than God or wrestles with God and wins. And I was like, I think you're adding too much there because uh, God let him win. I mean, it was one of those, Brother Sam's talked about it. It was, I'm not letting go until you... And I'm not going to let go until you do this. And I, you're not going to let go. And it's just back and forth. And it wasn't so much, I don't think, I mean, ow. It wasn't so much a wrestling match as it was just not letting go until the blessings came. Whoops. So Simon means he has heard. And I thought that was pretty cool if you if you look at uh, or if you watch like the chosen excuse me when Andrew comes up and he's like hey I saw him and he little things he's like I've heard about him I've heard this I've heard that so I thought that that was kind of that's a good explanation but then Peter of course means rock from Matthew 16:18 <coughs> <coughs> and we've talked about that where Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church. And it was not the building the church on Peter. Um, one, I don't think any mortal man would have that 
responsibility to be you're solely in charge of moving Christianity through all time. But it was through the revelation that Peter had. Solomon, of course, means peace. But did you know that God called him Jedediah? In 2 Samuel 12 and 24, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. And he sent, 25, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. So when Erica was pregnant with Sam, we joked about it a lot. I was like, I'm going to, I want to call him Jedediah. Never even looked up the meaning of the name, but the meaning of Jedediah is beloved of the Lord. And I thought that that was really, if you think about the wisdom of Solomon and how well he was blessed, and it just really shows. So what does God call you? What does God call us? There's multiple names throughout the Bible that God uses to reference to us, to reference to his people. And, and we, we can think of some of them real fast, and it's just, you know, okay, well, he calls me bride, and he, he calls me this, and he calls me that. And, but he has, just like in many of those that we just talked about where he changed people's names and we talked about why he changed their names if we really think down to what he calls us so in John 1 and 12 this is where I ran out of my markers so I have to cheat not cheat. I don't get to cheat this time. John 1 and 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If we just stopped right there, if we ended everything on what God calls us, I think that being called a child of God has such significant meaning and power behind it that it should just make every day you wake up and you go, I'm a child of God and just rejoice. Because just like in the story of that we talked about with the signet ring when, when the prodigal son came home and he said, give him a robe and a ring and what that ring means and the power there behind it, that he is now by that name he has all the power and authority of his father to write the checks, to cash the checks, to go out and buy whatever he wants. Well, right here, we're talking about the same type of authority gave them the power to become the sons of God. And there's no stipulation as, well, you have to do these things. You have to have a perfect life. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to believe on his name. 
Just the power of the name and believing on that name gives you the power to become a son or daughter of God. The same God that created everything in a matter of words spoke life into existence with three words. It says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You mean this much to me just because you believe. Sunday we talked about just believing. If you haven't caught on yet, there's a bit of a pattern. In John 15, all throughout the Bible, just believe. One through five. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We are the branch connected to the true vine. But more than that, you are a conduit of Christ's life. So I was, you don't see it a lot, but when this structure was being built, all the electricity that was ran through, so in more industrial buildings, you'd see the metal conduit. I was watching a video today on Instagram. It's a, it's a home inspector. I don't even know where he is, but they had rebuilt this house, and instead of rerunning the electrical, they wanted to add some electrical, and they just ran metal conduit down the side of the wall so you could see everything and I mean it's ugly of course but you can follow that conduit all the way back to its source if we are the conduit of Christ's life then anybody looking at us should be able to follow this conduit right back to the source And if we are not showing the source, then just what Jesus says here in John 15, and we talked about this more in depth, but if you are not bearing that fruit that would point back to the source, to put it in a more natural sense, if you see an apple on the ground and you can't look up and see an apple tree, then how did the apple get there? So if I'm going around telling everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and my fruit is not showing that I'm a Christian and pointing back to the source, then I am not in the vine. I do not abideth in him. We are friends of Jesus, John 15, 15. So if you just go down a little bit more henceforth I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth 
but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. There's that word all again. Just a little three-letter word that we give, we don't give a lot of credit to, but all encompasses literally everything. We are no longer servants We are no longer slaves, for the slave does not know what his Lord doeth. All you know when you're a servant is go here, go there, do this, do that. You might be sent out to work in the field, and you're like, well, I know that my Lord, Al, grows peanuts. So I'm going to go out there and harvest the peanuts. I know because I'm in charge of the other guys. Maybe you have some authority in that. But what's going on inside the house? There was a play that came out a while back called uh, Hamilton. There was a song in it that said, I want to be in the room where it happens. Meaning I want to know what's going on inside of there. I don't want to be outside, feel important that I'm guarding the room while they're in there making all these plans. I don't want to stand outside and go, I know that they're having church, and it looks like it's a good church, but I can't hear what they're saying. But I have an important job. I park the cars, and then I go home. I'm giving my time to the Lord, but I'm out there. Jesus called us his friends. His friends would be in the room with him, sitting with him, and you go, oh, well, That can't be right because I have to do all these things. I have to work, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to go do all these things. And your friendship with Jesus will lead to doing those things and telling people. Let's be honest. If anyone in here was best friends with Elon Musk, you would tell everybody you know. Hey, he gave me a new car. He did this. He did that. I want for nothing because he always supplies it for me. I I mean, you're just being a charity case. but So why are we not as vocal about our friendship with Jesus Christ? He says here, for all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. That leaves nothing out. Everything that he knows, because you're such good friends with him, he shares with you everything he knows. Since he created everything, he wants to share it with you, everything he knows. Now, of course, if he just sat down and said, all right, I'm going to tell you everything, the human mind could not handle everything. In that, But he, he says later on, and we'll get there, that anything that you ask in his name, very powerful name. So when we ask for things and we ask for these revelations to come to us, God, why do you do this? Jesus, why did you put me in this situation? I see no way out. I cannot do this on my own. I was, I was doing... Uh, a devotion 
the other morning, and it's on the Bible app, and every now and then I'll listen to the video part, and he was talking about that he had, he was a, he was a content creator, this guy, he created videos online, and they were all Christian videos, and he's, he had thousands of videos, tens of thousands of hours put into editing them, many nights, he wakes up one day, and every single one of them's gone, and he's like, why did you take this away? I was doing this for you. I thought that you wanted me to do this to share your word with your people here. I thought that you wanted me to, you know, get the word out this way. And he was pretty upset about it. And he said that, you know, he was uh, he was pretty angry with God for allowing that to happen, I guess you could say. But uh, a bigger opportunity came. And he now works for some church and he makes um, like content, cartoons, whatever, to explain the Bible to children. But in the middle of that, like we talked about Sunday, in the middle of that storm, or Wednesday, in the middle of that storm, all we see is the waves. So in Romans 3 and 24, where did it go? Romans 3 and 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You are justified and redeemed. That's another name. We talked about what sanctified means. Justified. Amen. Justified and redeemed. Being justified freely. By His grace. That says nothing that you did. makes you justified to get the blessings and the benefits. Nothing that you did lets you be Jesus' friend. The only way, if we go back to being friends with Jesus in John 15, the only way that you get to be in that room where it happens is to be justified. <coughs> Excuse me. And the only way to be justified is by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Christian world today wants to tell you that there's all these other things that you have to do. You have to do this, and you have to do that, and you, you, you have to put in so many hours, and you have to have a, a, a place and a title in the church. You, you, you have to... Those that, you know, you have to have a designated parking spot. Because those people are, are higher than you. The, the, the pastors of the church, are they're, they're more Christian than you. Um, I told you all about a book that I, I read for an anthropology class where the preacher of the church, and that's using the name loosely, and I, I'm sorry, the leader of the church, he would always come in the back door, but he wouldn't let anybody touch him. He had to have security, basically. His, all of his um, deacons would surround him. 
So that because if anybody touched him, it would take the anointing. That's not how the anointing works. If we just look through the life of David, he was anointed as a young boy. And he wasn't a king for decades later. I mean, he had to run for his life for quite some time. and But the anointing never went away. He didn't have to get re-anointed just to be king. The anointing is with you. Brother Wayne Lawson talks about you're always anointed. When I heard one of his sermons where he was kind of explaining that a little bit more, it, I mean, it really sunk in with me that I'm not just anointed when I'm writing notes and I'm not just anointed when I'm up here, but I'm anointed everywhere I go. Because if I wasn't, then everything that God says about everywhere your foot, you know, the sole of your foot lands, that's your land. And um, I prayed a long time ago that me personally, that everything my hand touches, it'll prosper. And, you know, I told you the story about the, just the walkie-talkie that things that shouldn't work both physically and spiritually do work. And if I wasn't anointed, that, that wouldn't work that way. So the same thing for you, and I'm going to tell, tell everybody that here this morning or this evening, you are always anointed. You are always justified. And you are always redeemed. You can read through the whole Bible and you will never see where it says, well, you had a bad day, so you're not justified anymore. You need to be re-anointed. Go back to church, get all the elders and the pastor and have them anoint you with oil so you can be re-anointed. We are no longer a slave to sin, Romans 6 and 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. So Satan likes to remind you, and we talked about this uh, Sunday, that if he, when he reminds you of your past, Excuse me, remind him of his future. But even more, just remind him that you're dead. When my grandmother passed away, my mom was the executor of the state, and she got tons of calls about, well, you need to pay this debt. No, she's passed away. We need to talk to her. She's gone. We need to talk to her. All the debts that my grandmother owed went to the grave with her. All the debts that you owed because you are a servant to sin, those are debts that you will never be able to pay. There is nothing in you, there are not enough lifetimes for you to be able to pay back that debt. So know this, that your old man is crucified with Jesus. 
once again, this is another one of those that I like. Is means is that that's present tense. So that means that it wasn't in, yes, Jesus was crucified in the past, but you were in him when that happened. And it does not say served. You should not serve sin. That is present tense. That does not mean that when you make a mistake, you have to go back and do the whole thing again. That, that's present tense. That means you no longer do it now. But any time that we have a mistake and we fall to it, we go, oh, I'm serving it again, and I've, I've fallen and I've made this mistake. And Brother Sam talks about it all the time. You're still in a fleshly body. Now, if you sin and you're just like, oh, well, happened again. Let me go on about my day. No big deal. That's where the problem might in lie. Because if you have no remorse and you feel that you do not need to ask for any sort of forgiveness, there are groups and, you know, there are Christian groups that say that because Jesus paid for your past, present, and future sins, that you don't have to ask for any sort of forgiveness. And for a long time, I was like, oh, man, that's a, that's a good deal. I like that. But then I thought about it, and I'm like, if my children, in an earthly sense, if my children did something wrong that I've taught them that is wrong, even if it doesn't physically affect me, they cheat on a test, they cheat on their homework, they whatever the case is, I would expect them to come and ask me for forgiveness. So why do we not think that we need to ask our Heavenly Father for forgiveness just because he said that he, he I mean, I've never once said, no, I do not forgive you for what you did. And no parent in here should ever think that they would, oh, well, no. You might be upset and disappointed or whatever, whatever but you're going to forgive your children. So why would he not forgive you? But if you do not ask for that forgiveness, it's just going to fester and it's going to boil. And until you do, it just leaves an opening for Satan to come in and go, see, he doesn't love you. Come up with all kinds of lies. So we're being told here that we are no longer a slave to sin. And in Romans 8 and 1, just over a page for me. We are free from condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I don't think there needs to be much explanation there. I've talked about this before. If, if people would just take the words at face value, don't try to, yes. There is much to glean, but if you just read the Bible and took the words at face value, do you realize how much better your life would be? If you just read this and you said, well, there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. Okay. 
love my neighbor like myself, treat others the way I want to be treated, right? Do we do that, though? I know that I don't. I mean, I, we, all, we all have that because going back to names, we look at people and we go, oh, well, they're just in it for this. They're just, they're only trying to get a free handout or whatever the case is. Romans 8 and 2 says that we're free from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? two chapters to six what did six say you died with Christ you were crucified with him so therefore you are free from that law for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus all life is in Christ Jesus you are free from that law this evening. And in Romans 8, 17, there's a lot in Romans. If you've never read the book of Romans, take your time when you do. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so, be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. So what does it mean to be a joint heir? A joint heir gets everything that the heir gets. So if you go through this and you think about it and you go, okay, we're just going to put it as simple as possible. Who is Jesus? What does he get? Everything he got, I got. Okay. We talked about all the things. He said that you will do all these things and greater. So you have that power. You have the power, or you, you, you receive eternal life, never ending, in heaven, with him. It's not up there. So joint heirs with Christ. And in 15.7, Romans, still in, still in Romans. 15.7, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. You are accepted. Nowhere in, in this does it say that, once again, you have to do these things, you have to do those things. You have to clean yourself up. I think that that is one of the biggest misconceptions that people run into is they say, well, I got to get my life right before I come to church. What better place? Right? I mean, I've told my, my, my testimony how all these things that I've had for so long just fell off in a night. Not to say that you're not tempted by them, but I mean, even the smell of alcohol anymore just kind of turns my stomach. Can't even stand the smell of it. So, you still have these things, oh, well, if you do, the, it won't, it'll be fine. And you're right. But does that not sound similar when Eve said, I, we, we can't even, I can't eat of it, I can't eat of it. And then she got so frustrated, she said, I can't even look at it. And that's where Satan said, now I got her. 
because now she's twisted it because she's gotten so frustrated with me that she got defensive. In a natural sense, if you're ever talking to somebody, if you get defensive or they get defensive, it's best to just stop the conversation. Because once somebody becomes defensive over something, they're not hearing anything you have to say. All rationality goes out the window. So that's where Satan stepped in, and he just added one little word. Oh, well, you'll not, right? I mean, come on, just try it. I'll prove to you that it won't happen. And you look at all the things and you go, well, God, Matt, there is no way that God can accept me with all the things that I've done. Maybe you sit or you listen or you look and you watch and you go, Matt, there is no way because I'm so judgy. I have this spirit of bitterness. Maybe I have this this just spirit of resentment or I, 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 I'm such a hypocrite. Satan likes to tell us all the time that we're hypocrites. You get one little bit of, maybe you get upset in traffic and now you're a hypocrite. Well, what if that was somebody in your church that saw you getting mad that maybe they were the one driving slow on 135? You're such a hypocrite. You don't even need to go to church. Romans 7 says that you're accepted because Christ received us to the glory of God. But the first part of that is the part that I think many Christians struggle with. Receive ye one another as Christ received you. That goes back to what we were talking about when we started. We see these people and we go, well, I don't know about that one. Did the Bible tell you to say not know about that one? Or did they say receive does it say to receive them the way that Christ received you? How did Christ receive you? With all your scars and your stinkiness, and you just came up out of the pig pen. And he cleaned you up, and he gave you a robe, and he said, you now have all the power that I have to write the checks, to buy the stuff. So we should do the same to those that we encounter on a daily basis. No matter how they treat you, no matter what they say to you, no matter how dirty spiritually and sticky that they seem, no matter how much that they say that they hate the, you know, Christians and the Bible. Well, I love you, though. I need you to understand how much I accept you. No matter how you treat me, I accept you the way that Christ accepted me. In 1 Corinthians 6, well, I tried to put these in enough order that I don't have to, like, flip backwards and forwards. I can just keep going. How well that works, I don't know. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You are the very temple of God. Brother Branham talked about how on the day of Pentecost, God broke him up, broke himself up so that he could live inside of us. 
God will not live. He cannot stand. He cannot be even near. The very stench of sin is so, I mean, it is just putrid to him. So for the Holy Ghost to live inside of you, you're not just a temple, you're a holy temple. And you go, well, Matt, you just said that the, the your human body and the flesh is, you're right. But it's been proven through science, that, and Brother Branham talks about this, that there's a spot that is in the human heart that is just a void. It has no purpose to pump blood through it. It's just an open chamber. And he believes, and I can agree with it, that that is where the soul lives because other mammalian beings, other mammals in the world, that are not humanistic, that are not humans, do not have said chamber in their heart. Everything that we've talked about and everything that I want to try to get across is that if you only believe and your faith is in Christ, his finished work, his very name, that that will sanctify and justify and make that little chamber holy enough for God himself to come live in. There's nothing that you can do because the only way that you could physically wash it would be to literally cut your heart out and that will not benefit you any. Just so you know, um, don't try that at home, kids. So we have to go with what the Bible says about us to be able to make ourselves clean enough to be a temple of the Holy Ghost. Right? If you go back just a little bit to 617... But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Once again, that's one of those that just take it at face value. You don't. There's not a lot of explanation that you have to put into that, that if you are joined with Christ, you are one spirit with Christ. If you are one spirit with something or someone, that means you do what they do, you move when they move, and you have all the power and authority that they have. Matt, you sound like you're teaching that we have all these, you know, that um, we're just big and, and we have all the power. And, well, that's what my Bible told me. My Bible told me that I have power over principalities and powers and the powers of darkness, right? We have that power inside of us. There's a difference between being arrogant and just saying, oh, well, I'm better than you just because, well, I'm a Christian and I have all this power and you don't, so... That's being arrogant. We've talked about the definition of being meek. To be What meek means is that you have a sword, but you know when to keep it sheathed. By that same logic, you know when to draw it. <coughs> Excuse me. If you know when to draw the sword, then you know how to use the sword. You have the power to use the sword to 
cut asunder to cut straight to the bone, right? Because that's our sword, and the word of the the word of the Lord is like any two-edged sword, but it's so sharp that it can cut the very bone. I don't know how many of you I've had some pretty sharp knives, but I can't just and cut through a bone. Those it's those little things that God likes to really point out to me that 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 means a lot to me that this is so sharp that it know that it can cut through very bone straight to the marrow meaning it can go straight to the problem that anybody including us is having but that meekness comes that I don't just pull this out and beat people over the head with it right we, we, we bring up the little things and we know when to we know when to really just kind of leave it sitting here and people go is that a Bible and you go yeah pretty nice looking ain't it it's pretty but a lot of times if you're witnessing to somebody that is lost or has been lost or has been told that just because they left certain denomination that they are no longer a Christian you have to be in this denomination this is the only church that preaches the the truth. I've, I've literally heard that in this town. Not from this church, obviously. That is not being humble. That is being very arrogant. But if you bring it out, if you just bring this out and start beating somebody over the head with it and just, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, they shut you off and they get defensive. We need to have that meekness and that humility to be able to know when to draw our sword and cut to the very bone. The Lord will, that, that's where we have to have that one spirit because if we are one spirit, then we think the way that he thinks and we talk the way that he talks. And when that time comes and you go, man, I have no clue what I need to say to this person. The Holy Spirit will step up and say, turn here. And you'll go, I didn't even know that was a book in my Bible so I know that it's not of me in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 so just over a little bit in the second letter here 5 and 17 therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creation Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creation in Christ if you just believe in his name and be in him and be that one spirit that we just talked about. Most of you, probably 98% of you, did not know me until a little over a year ago. We might be at a year. Nope, not quite yet. We haven't been coming quite a year yet. So y'all didn't know me, so you just know me as this Matt. But Erica, the kids, my parents, they all had a different, they all knew me a different way. I was watching a thing today, and this interviewer said, how can two people be raised by the same parents, but one be a narcissist and the other not? 
And the interviewee said, because they're not raised by the same parents, he asked the interviewer, do you have any siblings? She said, yes, one older, one younger. He said, so you never knew what it was, what it was like to be the oldest. You only knew what it was like to be the middle child. You never knew what it was like to get all the attention because you're now the little baby. You only saw how that one, they got the attention as the middle child, but there was always an oldest, and then there's always a youngest. We are treated different ways. So the way that they knew me is different than the way that she knows me and is different than the way that they know me. The way that I've raised Presley is different than the way that I've raised Sam. One, because one's a boy and one's a girl. He's the youngest. She's the oldest. She grew up a good three years, the first three years of her, well, a year and a half, and then three years of her life, she was in England. Things were different. There were, I mean, it was very military, very structured. We had to do these things this way at any given point point I just I had a bag in my closet that I just picked up and left if I had to I had some friends that came into work one day and they were told go home pack your bags come back in three hours you're leaving where are we going can't tell you how long does it take to get there can't tell you what size plane are we taking can't tell you they literally were told nothing and they had three hours notice that's different than the way I've had, the, what he remembers now, because since 2017, I mean, now both of them, but since 2017, that fear of me just leaving randomly is gone. I don't have to do that anymore. Right? So the way that we know each other is different. They can vouch, especially that one, can vouch that I am not the same person I was 14 years ago when we got married. And to be honest, I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago when I graduated high school. I hope that nobody in here is the same person they were as when they graduated high school. If you're not growing and maturing spiritually and physically, if you're not growing in this, then you need to get back into it. And find out what you're doing wrong. Because if you just sit stagnant for 20 plus years, there's no growth. I don't know how that keeps coming undone, but it keeps stabbing me. We could do this for days to come. We could sit here and go through what Jesus, what God has called us. He's called us his own. He calls us new creatures. He calls us sons and daughters. We are loved. We are forgiven. If for nothing else, that should set your heart on fire, that you are forgiven of everything. It's cast into the outer darkness. I always said, I always said you know, into the Marianne Trench, but come to find out that there's a... Um, there's a man-made hole that was dug just a little bit deeper, so we're going to say it's in that one now. I learned that today. Seven and a half miles deep into earth. Um, pretty interesting story. We're not going to get into it. You can make your own beliefs if you look it up. The promises of God are literally 
dangerous. That's hard for our finite minds to understand. We had a beginning, and our mortal body will have an end. Your brain will have an end. Will you remember things of your life when you get to heaven? That's a whole nother sermon. But we are finite. We can only go from as far back as our, our, our physical memory can think. God is infinite. That's hard for us to understand because even if you drew, a, if you had a string that was long enough and you stretched it all the way around the world, eventually it comes back to itself, and that's finite. If you stretched a line from here to as far as light has traveled in our universe and you make it to the edge, that's still finite. It's extremely long, but it's finite. God is infinite, so his promises are infinite and endless. There is nothing that you can do from what we read as long as you believe in, in Jesus and believe on that name. The promises just keep coming. But we get caught up in our situations and our bad day and what so-and-so said about us. Or I, I got in the car and I had a flat tire this morning. My whole day's ruined. And I, I, it took me a long time, but I kind of try to think about that and go, there's a reason that my tire that had no troubles is now flat this morning. God did that for a reason. I had a good friend that got into a car wreck today. Um he ain't even had the truck a year. It was like a 2015 Silverado. Uh, it's completely totaled. Luckily, his little boy wasn't with him. But he ran a red light. I asked him, I said, what happened? He said, I ran a red light and I couldn't stop in time. Well, you ran a red light, so probably shouldn't have done that. Um, I don't know why he ran the red light. Maybe he had checked his phone for a second. But it was at First and Grove, which isn't too far from where I work. If I had taken back roads, you know, just take Hillside or something all the way up, First Street's not that far. Every day that I clock out, because there's a couple hundred people at one time trying to clock out exactly at 3.30 in one second, it stalls and it takes five minutes. I get upset because I'm not leaving work for those five minutes. But what would have happened if I had been like, you know what, today I'm going to leave, I'm going to go stop at this QT over here, and then I'll just go straight up Grove, get back on 1st or 2nd Street. My own friend could have been the one that hit me when he ran the red light. But we don't look at it that way. We go, I'm supposed to leave work at 3.30, not 3.35. I'm not getting paid for those extra five minutes that I had to sit here and wait to get clocked out. There's a reason that God stalled you five minutes, whether you realize it or not. Thank him for those stalls. You can ask him why. If you really want to know, he'll tell you. Well, because some dummy is driving drunk down 135. I don't know how many times that we've been stalled going somewhere just something stupid happened. 
and we're like, man, I'm so upset, and then we get up the road, and it's a big car wreck. That car wreck at, I don't know if y'all heard about it in the news, on 53rd Street right before uh, 135 the other day. I go that way a lot if the train is in front of my house, 53rd Street's open. I got in my car in the forerunner, and I heard the sirens going. Supposedly it happened much earlier than 6.30. I normally leave the house at 6.25. I left at 6.30. If I had left at 6.25 and the train had been there, I'd have been going down 53rd Street, and I'd have been the one that T-boned her. And we look at it, and we go, I'm five minutes late. His promises are endless. Tonight, I'm going to close on this. Hold firm to these truths that we talked about tonight. Don't hold firm just tonight, but anytime you feel low or beat up by the devil, ask God what he calls you. Be specific. Because I'm going to tell you, God does not call you Michelle and you Deborah. And I'm going to prove that to you. We all have a name that God gives us, but we have to believe. Revelations 2 and 17, if the musicians would like to come back, musician and song leader. 2 and 17, I'm going to prove to you that God has a different name. So ask him what he calls you. Be specific. Get intimate with him. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now this is right in the middle of the seven church ages. This is the message to Pergamos. But it's right before we start talking about Thyatira. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. God has a name for you. God knows you not just through your earthly name, but your godly name. He has your doesn't take a lot to figure it out. God says that if you just to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. How do we overcome but by him? It's very simple and it's so simple it's hard for us to believe that all we have to do is believe in his name and believe what he did for us and we get all the blessings that are in here that can't be right nobody works that way right he cannot lie so if he says it it has to be the truth just because you make mistakes he cannot make mistakes there is nothing that will make him stumble and make a mistake. So if you overcome, we talked about this just Sunday, how we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the
and the word of our testimony. That's pretty simple. That he will give us to eat of the hidden manna and a white stone with a name written on it that no man knows saving he that receiveth it. Father, I thank you for using me tonight as your sounding board. I thank you for using me as the speaker to bring forth your message. And I just ask, Lord, that you you come to each and every one of us here and everyone listening and watching and, and you share with us the name that you call us. Let us have that intimate relationship with you that we turn to you and, and, and you show us how that we can overcome and in those times that we are so low and beaten up and we just feel that we we can't see we can't see out of this hole that we've dug for ourselves. Lord, let us look up and seek your face first. Let us seek you that you would make us a way where there is no way. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing, Jesus. I thank you for everything that you've done in my life, and I thank you for everything that you're doing in my family and my friends and my church family here. I thank you for what you're doing in this small assembly and the way that we're being able to touch the world and get your message out to people that are hungry and they are so thirsty to just have the comforts that we have to be able to sit in a air-conditioned building and not have to hide to have church. I thank you for letting us be raised here in a, such a free country to be able to share your word with your people freely and not be censored. I ask, Lord, that you be with each and every one of us as we leave here tonight. Be with us until we meet again. Keep us safe. Keep us strong. Give us the words to say to those people that we've never, we've never known how to even talk to them. We don't know how to even start the conversation open that door that we can we can share you with them Lord and give us the boldness and the strength to be able to do it not through our own power but through you keep us safe as we're at our workplace and as we are at our homes bless each and every home let the let your holy ghost fill that house and and cast out every unclean spirit that may be in the area Satan, you cannot stand in our presence because of who that is in us. Let us keep that boldness as we walk, Lord, that we know the power that you have invested in us, the power and the light that shines through us, Lord, that can only come from you and the Holy Spirit. Let us share that love and that peace and that joy with everyone. Let us accept them the way that you have accepted us. And I ask these things in your mighty name, Jesus, our friend and our Savior, our Redeemer, our Justifier, our Sanctifier. Amen.
Oh. 